0: Let me know when are down. Oh, we're live?
1: Yes, we are, hello. like
0: it. We're live! Hey, um, welcome to another edition of Wind Down Wednesday. I am your host, Aisha Jefferson, and I am joined by um, my fellow co-host, um, Lee Edwards, who is the VP of digital for NBJ Chicago, newly elected again. And Will hello. Jones, who you normally see with us, is out working, the brother is just slamming, doing a lot of interviews. He interviewed our mayor recently, and um, mm-hmm. he's been very busy. So, in for Lee, we have a surprise for you. Well, not necessarily a surprise, but well, sort of a surprise—a good thing. Our uh, newly elected NABJ Chicago president, Mr. Brandon Pope, who you know as an anchor and reporter for WCIU and um, CW Chicago. So, hello, everyone.
2: Hello, hello. hello. What to do? Happy to be here with everybody. Good to see you. Uh, and. Uh, Hey, new times, new days. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, happy birthday, Kathy Cheney, our yes. executive happy board birthday. member. Kathy Cheney, want to give a shout out to her. Um, this is my first time being on this Wind Down Wednesday. I feel honored.
0: Well, thank you, thank you. You know, we we had to get you in here because we have a, a really cool discussion, and you know how we sometimes cut up, so we want to definitely get your input on on this <laughs> this topic that we'll be discussing a little later on. But I'm um, also being
1: joined to- by Derek Clifton, of course. Award oh, yes. winning
0: Derek Clifton. Clifton. Yes, the Derek Clifton, the two time Peter Lissigard
2: Award. The legend.
0: Yes. I'm just Derrick. okay. <laughs> How are you, Derek?
1: I'm doing all right. How you doing?
0: I'm good. I am good. so I just um, got to
1: recognize really quick that there's a lot of beard gang happening right now. I'm seeing Brandon is very moisturized, as is Derek. I'm, I'm glad Aisha, you're not joining us in that. We don't need well, a fourth that's right
0: now. care, my no But yeah, <laughs> I know all this facial hair, which I welcome. I, I, you know, I, I'm glad that facial hair is becoming more popular. It was, it's nice to see it. Oh, I, I love you. it. I, 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 so I, you're I Part of
2: the beard game.
0: Yes, you the are. Team beard. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Nice <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So before we jump um, further into the um, discussion tonight, I want to do a little bit of housecle- um, housekeeping. Um, students, NAVJ um, students, um, if you're a member, a student member, I want to remind you that the deadline for um, the student projects for this year's um, convention is May thirty first, and I believe that is a Monday. So you have less than a week to um, apply for. Um, to be part of the student projects um, team, I also want to let you know that um, there are different. Let me see. There are grant funds available. Also, um, if you um, hold on, let me get this together. Yes, there's a black the Black Press um, Grant Program that um, NABJ, our national chapter, um, is doing thanks to the um, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. So you. Um, want to make sure that you apply for that as well. And uh, let's see, and let me see, what else do we have? Oh, and as I mentioned earlier, our um, Black Hollywood Conversation, um, where we will be talking about Michael B. Jordan's um, movie that premiered on Amazon Prime a couple of weeks ago.
2: Yes, indeed, yes, yeah. indeed. Also wanna make sure that we uh, let people know that our First official event of the new exec board uh, for the 2021 2023 season of NABJ Chicago going down June 10th at 6 p.m. Uh, I'm really excited for this, a collaboration with OTV, Open Television, uh, talking about the game changing work they do. Uh, Derek nodded their head there. Game changing work they do in terms of giving one, Chicago creatives an outlet to tell intersectional stories, but two, the fact that they're doing some great uh, storytelling centered around the LGBTQ plus experience. I am pumped uh, to talk to one of the co-founders. Cheryl Corley is gonna be uh, leading that discussion, but journalists can join in. Q and A, come with your questions. Maybe you get a good article out of it.
0: Absolutely. Very, very, very excited about, um, about all of this. All of that, because it's very, it's long overdue and I'm just, I'm glad that this is happening. Yeah, so um, before we um, talk to Derek about that, um, Michael B. Jordan, new movie, <laughs> Without Remorse. Now, look, I have a confession to make. I, I watched it last night, fell asleep, you know, just because I was tired. 1130 at night, said so I wanted to watch the movie. Woke up this morning, got into it, still didn't finish it, have nine minutes left. So um, I know nine <laughs> minutes left in the movie, I had a lot of running around to do.
2: You're not going to finish it.
1: <laughs> might
0: as well I'm up. curious because because the point I am and I don't want to spoil it for anyone I'm like hmm I think I know how this is going to end because you know a little predictable but I may watch it I, I'm not sure you don't think I am Brandon
1: the movie's good so you, you got to start from the very beginning and drink it all in because the brother's talented there's a lot of action there's a lot of deep thinking involved you gotta be willing to just you know immerse yourself and all that's happened with Michael B. Jordan. Back me up, Brandon. You got you know what I'm talking about. Um no. <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: Uh, you know like the
1: smoldering intensity of Michael B. Jordan? So you gotta say so the whole thing every single time. Michael i I'm B. never
2: Jordan. I'm never one to hate on a black actor or actress or anyone that's
1: progressing in their field.
2: But oh. I do the we, we got to get off of this Michael B. Jordan crack wrong because he's not that great of an actor. And the movie isn't, it's, it's like it's an action movie. Uh, it's, you know, like we don't got to overhype it. This it's is a bunch of action. There's some guns. There's a weak plot that comes from the 90s because it's based off a book in the 90s. They didn't update the source material at all. <laughs> we
1: it's don't like, like books here. <laughs> The US. Uh, yeah.
2: Way to play into conspiracies from like the late 80s. Like it, it just, it's it's uh, it's an okay movie. You know, if you're bored, hey, why not? But you're not gonna be, you're not gonna remember it, you know, three months from now.
1: Derek, please jump in and support me on this I Michael, think we B. Can <laughs> Michael B. Jordan. All
2: agree.
3: Michael B. Jordan is good to watch. He's an interesting actor. <laughs> yeah, he's interesting. Die candy for a lot of people, myself included. Yeah,
1: he looks of course
3: now. However, I the jury is still out for me on how he performs as an actor. Um, just in general. I can't say <laughs> I've gotten into a lot of his portrayals, which is perhaps why I've been a little hesitant to watch this movie, but I may give it a chance. I try to give Black art a chance, no matter what, because at least we can have the conversation. There may be something there to think about, even if we walk away from the movie being completely unsatisfied or throwing popcorn at the screen. I hope that's not what I'm doing when I watch this movie though. <laughs> no, I,
0: and I shared this with um, Derek before we hopped on. So my introduction, like a lot of people's introduction to Michael was through the wire. So I make the mistake of, of of um, watching all five seasons in like six days. So that was traumatized for a couple of weeks because that's just a lot mm-hmm. of stuff going on. But within those um, six days, I fell in love with his character, Wallace. I adopted him as a brother slash cousin in my head. So that is how I look at Michael B. Jordan. I kind of give him a pass based on my love of the Wallace character uh, for The Wire. And so I just see him as this um, brother um, who I, you know, I hope, to, who, who I hope does well. Um, and, you know, he's still um, young enough where he can strengthen his skills and, you know, get the approval of um, of Mr. Pope. So, you know, he may he may win you over. He may, you know, he may run across this podcast and say, you know what?
1: <laughs> John S. C. Creed 1 and 2? No. I have nothing against
2: Michael B. Jordan. See, I have nothing against him. Right. There's always
1: a but at the end of that. It's but, like you,
2: I'm, I'm not even gonna a, and then the stick. <laughs> I'm going to say there. I have nothing against Michael B. Jordan. I just believe that we overinflate him a little bit, just a little bit. Well,
0: you know, we had this conversation too, um, Lee, about the whole thing about the, um, need, the need for a black heartthrob, and it seems that a younger black heartthrob, and it seems that he has fulfilled that role for a lot of people. He's, he is, you know, he's a
2: heartthrob. He is. That that's very like,
0: true. Because that, that Amazon commercial, was, was it Amazon?
1: Yeah. yeah. Y'all love that. That,
0: that, that was nice. <laughs> that was a nice commercial. I had
1: to like-
0: I thought it was nice. Derek, did you think it was nice? Because I thought it was nice. <laughs> I, 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 I,
3: I mean, if we're talking young Black heartthrobs, I think Daniel Kalua needs to enter the chat. Ooh. I think Reggie Jean-Pierre from Bridgerton needs to enter the oh, chat. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. a bunch. So Michael B. Jordan better beware.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, that, was the the, that was the conversation that started the whole Michael B. Jordan part. I was like, Michael B. Jordan, I think he's a very good actor. He's talented and those sort of things. But there, I was like, oh, there's not enough, not enough black male heartthrobs in Hollywood. Right. So then I had to do the research. And I was like, oh, wait, there's a lot. It's just he's always the name that people bring up the most. Like there's Algis Hodges, there's um, several others. Names escape me. But there are plenty, even like Kofi from um, yes. Queen Sugar. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. so, so, um, yeah. So there's plenty of them, but they always don't always like get the major roles. It seems like Michael B. Jordan always gets the first shot at the the big star uh, opportunities.
0: Well, his, you know, he's um, uh, Ryan Cougar's uh, Kugler's muse, um, in a sense. He's done a lot of the mm-hmm. move that he's done with Ryan has pretty much put him on the map and pushed him ahead of some of um, his counterparts. So I think, you know, Ryan um, has a lot to do with that. His partnership um, with um, Ryan, you know, partnering Ryan with Ryan
2: Kugler definitely elevates a lot of people.
0: Yep.
2: And I think that's a great thing. <laughs> I, su- I support Black men, Black women, anyone Black being elevated. Right. My fear with michael b jordan is that we elevate him so much that we don't elevate others okay and there is lots of other talented black men out there who could be good actors um so you know that is that's my take i love michael b jordan i respect him hope to interview him soon Mm -hmm. um, but you don't think he
1: should be superman
2: he should not be superman Uh, We can get another Black guy to do that. I prefer an unknown. Uh, Give it to somebody else. Like, why do you got to take all the Black guy jobs? You know, like, come on. Give it to John David Washington. Give it to somebody else.
0: Well, before, as we wrap this uh, Michael B. Jordan um, without remorse conversation up, I do want to add that Jodie Turner-Smith is a strong uh, Black female lead in that movie, too. Yes. (laughs) I love Jodie. Yeah, Jodie is in it. So, if she was pretty small. And she doesn't die right away, which I was afraid of. I thought happened, but it did not happen. So, yes, I kind of spoiled that for you. But Jody is in it. And, um, oh, my gosh, Baby Girl is in it, too.
1: Laura uh, London.
0: Yes. And I haven't seen Laura. I don't think it, um, Lauren in anything since maybe when she was on.
1: Atlanta?
0: Um, Entourage. Oh, <laughs> you
2: yeah, I was going to say Atlanta with T.I. where he snatches the. Right
0: right and let with Entourage when Turtle was trying to holler at her. I think that's the last time I've seen her on this big or small the small screen or whatever. So mm-hmm. they are definitely um in there. So check it out. Um, you know, if you if you want to, you know.
2: Definitely do. What a non-committal review. Check it out. You know, if you want to.
0: Well, I have nine minutes left. So you know, I can't, you know, didn't I should finish it. Check that, it out.
2: That should tell you all you need to know, y'all. She didn't even finish the movie.
0: So oh, look at that man. I got deadlines. I I had to, you know, Mm -hmm. I had other stuff that I was trying to juggle at the same time. Mm
2: Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I feel you. I
2: feel you. Must have not been that interesting.
0: (laughs) Look at that. Brandon, so look, the votes are in. So how you know, and you are our president. You are our new president. So let's talk a little bit about that. What? You are our new NABJ Chicago president.
2: Nobody told me that. That's that's. Gotta well, let be me tell year. you, in case
0: you didn't know, Brandon, you have been elected president. About oh, it'll be a week tomorrow. Oh wow! Yes, you yes, Brandon, you got it. <laughs> it's you. It is you.
2: <laughs> well, you know, seriously though, I'm really, I am excited. It's been an incredibly busy few days as we're in the transitional process with NEBJ Chicago, but I'm really excited for um, the board we have. And a lot of the great ideas and uh, initiatives we have kind of coming into the works. I'm really enthused, just seeing the enthusiasm people have um, for the new leadership team, for some of the things we're going to be doing. Um, seeing the support, seeing the love, um, you know, it, it's humbling. Um, I can tell you, we're not going to let you down. I'm going to do everything I can um, to make sure we don't. Um, things that I want us to really focus on. Advocacy is always going to be a big thing for us, mm-hmm. membership, increasing that, but more so getting more members involved in not just being members on a roster, but actually being on committees, mm-hmm. getting involved with planning events and scholarships and things like that. And also, you know, making sure we increase scholarships out to students, things like that. So I, I think there's a lot of things we can do. There's some things that we've discussed already uh, as a board and with some board members about initiatives like. Uh, mentorship programs, uh, working with some athletic teams. I'll have some announcements soon on that, that I've had some meetings on. Um, a little tease there. Balls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, working with um, NABJ National on our first in person event. I'll have some details on that soon. It'll be this summer. Oh, hot boy, hot girl summer and safe, socially distance, all that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited. I'm really excited to, to get it done. So the key thing though is I need every single person involved in NABJ mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. hold us accountable, hit us up with questions, comments, concerns, ideas. This is truly your chapter. It's not mine. This is this is your title, not mine. This is your job, not mine. This is all service. Yes. And that's yeah. ultimately what it's all about. So um, I'm excited to get things going um tired as you can see with the bags under my eyes uh, but um, thank you, thank you. I'm ready to get to work
0: Good, thank you, Brandon. thank you, and we are ready to work with you very, very happy about um everything that is um coming forth with this chapter. very excited, and like you mentioned, a lot of people, even other members um are very happy as well so we're you know, we're we're with you we are with yeah. you
2: We gotta take that momentum, harness it, and really
0: some cool stuff with cool so um as i introduced earlier we have derek clifton um recently um announced two-time peter lissiger award winner derek clifton uh, you've um you know you've written this great piece on george floyd and yesterday was the one year anniversary of his death and just you know and Whoa! Well, you know, this had, it kicked off so much. I mean, this whole unfortunate that tragedy kicked off so much um, change and awareness, not just in our country, but just worldwide. And so um, you are one of the journalists, like many of us um, who have written about um, George Floyd. And I you know, want to talk to you. We want to talk to you about that. Um, so, um, Derek, tell us how you got started um, as a journalist and all of that.
3: I got into this by accident. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was gonna be a corporate attorney like doing like kind of like work in like kind of marketing world. Yes. I I was really interested in that after interning at a couple law firms but then after doing so um, just like intern support staff and then getting exposed to the culture and then I realized uh, a lot of these lawyers don't have lives uh, in these big corporate firms and I, I kind of want to go to the beach during the summers and not be stuck in, <laughs> it and like briefs and stuff like that. So I said, you know what? Let me see what else is out there. So when I got to college, I went to Northwestern for undergrad, and and you know I was more so involved in the activism realm, especially with like multicultural communities and the LGBT community. And it took me a few years to kind of figure out, uh, yeah, this campus is not exactly feel like home to me, and it's for a lot of reasons, but I also feel as though there's a lot of missing perspective in the way that sometimes campus media can treat uh, important social issues that are happening not only on the campus, but also in the surrounding community and also outside of campus too, because what's going on in the real world is going to, uh, you know, affect what's going on in that college bubble. So I started writing a column for the Daily Northwestern. And of course, when you just start out, you may not always have the most fully formed opinions. Um, But with time, I got better at it, uh, and then eventually became the deputy editor of the opinion page,
2: Mm
3: -hmm. and got to cover a lot of things from the birtherism movement to the diversity movement on campus, protesting a lot of uh, racial discrimination and kind of self-segregation that was happening on the campus, and you know, ended up going from there to interning at publications in New York, and then uh, working in New York as a writer and as an editor, and then going full-time freelance, mm-hmm. and that's all led me to where I am today.
0: Good, good. And you just just stepped into this uh, uh, by accident you just you know you saw something you, you tried out I mean, were you an attorney actually an attorney
2: no <laughs> or, or <you> were <laughs> these
3: were two the- internships i was like 18 or 19 i was do- okay. i took a gap year between high school and college mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. because i was like tired i went to paint walter payton prep for high school and after four years of that i was like all right i need a break yeah. uh, <laughs>
2: I feel you. Uh, I'm curious, because like you, when I was in college, I kind of did a, a, some opinion pieces. <laughs> I look back at them now, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> terrible, awful, like, it's like just hot takes throwing on a paper. Uh, when you nowadays are sitting down to write a column, how do you process your thoughts to turn that into a piece? How exactly do you go about working that in your head? Because everybody's got a different process. What, what is yours, if you can describe it?
3: A lot of the times what I write is visceral, or at least the main idea is kind of visceral, where it's like I see something happening in the news and it just brings up a certain feeling in me and I just kind of sit with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, It's where I try not to go into hot take territory because it's easy to do. Um, and I also try not to tweet my ideas before I write them. It's so hard sometimes. Um, one of my editors a while ago said, write what you tweet. So I took that to heart, um, especially as a freelancer, um, and just was like, okay, let me sit some, take some time just to sit and process things. And sometimes it's a matter of just writing it an outline and outlining it out before I send it to my editor, or sometimes, you know, either... I'll call my editor or my editor or text or call me and say, "Hey, you just saw this, what are we thinking?" And we just have a conversation or I have a conversation with one of my parents or with a friend. And sometimes in those conversations an idea comes up because I think that's really what the beauty of a column is is just having that dialogue or starting the dialogue, you know So that's usually how it kind of percolates for me.
1: I would then just ask like in terms of intersectionality, how do you sort of like determine where you want to add like fairness or equity or just how you use intersectionality as part of your perspective when you begin the writing process and then after it's published so just a little
3: background you know for people who don't know what intersectionality is it's a black feminist legal theory created by Kimberly Crenshaw in the 1980s uh, as a way originally to frame the issues and the legal system as it pertains to Black women, and how sometimes it was where, you know, a ruling on dis- discrimination could be where, oh, we can only look at Blackness or we can only look at womanhood, but we can't necessarily look at how that compounds when those mm-hmm. same two identities are facing oppression simultaneously. And that theory applies universally in many ways, where it's about the analysis and the experience of the fact that all oppressions and systems of privilege are interconnected. So, for me, as a Black, as a LGBT individual, you know, and, and many of us, we live at the intersections of various different identities that we experience all at one time. So, for me, whenever I approach an issue that may be intrinsically connected to the Black experience, I'm also thinking about this as okay, if if I'm looking at this from a Black LGBT lens, how does that experience apply? If I'm looking at this from a feminist lens, uh, how does that apply? If I'm looking at this in terms of nationality, in terms of global, in terms of immigration, you know, that kind of an identity, how does that apply? You know, and I think whenever we flatten the story to one identity, especially when we're talking about cultural commentary, we miss out on a lot of nuance um that ultimately ends up making the piece suffer, but also it sometimes ends up angering people who feel like they've been erased um so I think that's where it's important to think holistically about representation and how we discuss um you know, cultural issues, but also uh especially if there if there's a need to pick up the phone and call somebody um to think about having people from different walks of that
1: identity, different walks of blackness so to speak, It seems like you brought a lot of that energy. I'm sorry Aisha. I just want to throw this last piece in there. It seems like you brought a lot of that energy to your award-winning piece. Racism is exhausting Black people. Here's what we need. Is that sort of the mindset you were going in with? I was and what kind
3: of, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I was god awfully exhausted um, when the news of the George Floyd uh, killing happened. And for me, it reawakened some trauma I had as a journalist from covering a lot of protests, uh, especially when we're talking 2014, 2015, 2016. Whether it was, you know, Mike Brown, whether it was Laquan McDonald, you name it. Um, or just in one at one publication, I was a Black hash, Dead Person hashtag reporter, um, where it was Boom. every single time a hashtag came up, I had to write about it and that weighed on me heavily, especially not only being black, but also, you know, in some ways, you know, I grew up on the South side, you know, originally from Englewood, grew up in Whitewood too. So in some ways I felt survivor's guilt while writing these types of pieces. And when George Floyd was killed, I was feeling a type of way about even writing something, but my editors kind of pulled me out of a slump because at around the same time, Tony McDade was killed in Florida, a black trans man. And the story goes that he may have been defending himself But the police say he you know allegedly of course the police say is always a problem when we talk about this kind of stuff but they claim a gun was pointed and boom shot him and killed but we didn't hear about that in the grand scheme of things and for a lot of those people it's like sometimes our calls for justice get drowned out even within our own communities because it's like oh can you hold that off for another day that's the lgbt thing but it's also intrinsically connected to the black experience in that particular case. So there was some frustration that some of us were feeling. And of course there's factors, right? Like George Floyd's situation, he was recorded. Tony McDade's situation, he was not recorded in his final moments. But at the same time, it's again, who do we rally for? And how much do we rally for them? And do we keep that same energy for the same people who become hashtag after hashtag? And that's not something, regardless of circumstance, that we could say. So I brought a lot of that emotion to the piece, as well as, as what I was experiencing at the time, just in terms of thoughts and what other people I knew were going through, because we would talk in our group chats or you know would hop on the phone just to check in on each
0: other. And that came up a lot um, over the past year. You know, people wanting to, you know um, to talk about. Um, Brianna and others um, um, that that you just mentioned um, who were overlooked and maybe did not receive the um, same type of coverage that um, black cis um, males did and, and that type of support so um, yeah a lot and I know particularly um, you know I know I know specifically a lot of black women were just you know particularly tired of it because you know people want our support but don't Always return and I know that that have, that's the same too for the LGBTQ plus community. Also, people want you to be there and support, but to be silent, and um, people spoke up, and they were they were through with it. Um, your, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, more about George Floyd's um, impact and your article's impact?
3: I think you know one of the things that kind of irritates me sometimes when. Um, the George Floyd discussion happens is like when Nancy Pelosi said he sacrificed his life for justice. And it's like, I kind of get where she was trying to go. But it did not get there. And I don't think it was the right thing to say at all. I think that that platform that she had to speak on that could have been given to another member of the Congressional Black Caucus or somebody else could have spoken a little bit more pointedly about what had happened but you have that framing happen a lot but I don't think we can deny that you know the national reckoning around uh his you know murder really prompted a lot of reflection Mm -hmm. for a lot of people um whether you know they were black or whether they were from another you know racial group and it was because we couldn't escape it and we're all sitting in our homes, isolated. Um, you know, this is playing on repeat in the news. It's enough to make somebody really go crazy or just really angry um, and, and invoked a lot of emotion. So, um, you know, I think that in itself really was where a national conversation, and that, that phrase comes up so much too, but I think that really happened this time. Yeah. Um, and in so many ways, even if there are those really stark partisan divisions, at least there was the dialogue. And then, of course, things that happened after that and after that and after that and after that, like even, you know, even though Christian Cooper didn't get killed, Amy Cooper calling the police on him while he was bird watching could have arguably put his life in danger. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of white people didn't think about is how a police phone call for a, something that can be settled in another way can escalate quickly when you have black skin color involved. So I wrote about that too, but connecting this back to George Floyd, that was a similar situation. Police got called for something that could have been handled another way. And then it led to a death that did not need to happen. Um, and, and that's where it gets exhausting for a lot of black people because it's like, and we know because we've lived it, Having to, war- having to have that talk,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, the parents having to have the talk about, you know, what happens when an officer pulls you over or what neighborhoods not to drive them past a certain time of night, or what happens if you get, you're getting followed by a group of white people, things like that, that we shouldn't have to think about, but that our white counterparts have the privilege and the luxury of not having to live with every day. Yeah. And that's where, you know, and God bless Amanda Gorman, the poet. You know, at one point she tweeted that being black is exhausting in America. And it's not that being black is exhausting, it's that racism is yeah. exhausting because being black is beautiful and I would trade for nothing I, in the world. Okay.
0: I, I love it, but say never, that. Never want to be anything else. I don't care. I love it. This is not a mistake. This is that's just some weird circumstances that we've been experiencing for a little bit. But like everything, you know it will. It too shall pass. You know, where it's it'll it's shifting. You know, and that's just how it seems to work. Um, how it seems to work down here.
2: Definitely, Darren. Before we wrap up here, uh, wanted to open the line to you and let you know that NBJ Chicago, uh, we are open to having a, a, a firmer commitment to the LGBTQ uh, community of journalists here in our city um, and practice intersectionalism ourselves. Um, in your opinion, what can NEBJ as an organization, both nationally and locally, do better when it comes to being intersectional and working with LGBTQ plus journalists?
3: I definitely think programming helps. Um, having events, not just during Pride Month, but throughout the year that integrate LGBT experiences. I think also uh, reaching out to community groups to let them know that you know, and ABJ Chicago is present, cares about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and wants to, you know, build a relationship with them. I think that's also important uh, because there are a lot of Black LGBT people who are doing amazing work in this city. And I think that, you know, there's a lot that can be learned from their leadership and their examples. And a lot of what the work they're doing, it may not always make the news headlines, but I think, you know, reaching out and, and, by like just getting to know them, you know, I think that could make for great storytelling, uh, but also uh, in a way we, you know, iron sharpens iron, we can help elevate each other. Um, and then also to create more of empathy so that the community doesn't feel like it's not being portrayed accurately in the press, especially when it comes down to black trans women and what they deal with and the disproportionate rates of violence. Uh, that they experience in our community that often doesn't get talked about. Uh, But Black trans women have been leading the way on a lot of issues for God knows how long. So I think those are a few things that can be done to bring the community more into the fold. um, So that, you know, a lot of programming, a lot of membership can really reflect
2: the fullness and diversity of the Black community. I agree. Yeah, and I think also committing to, you know, uh, sharing the work of LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus journalists as well, uh, especially when, it, when it's dealing uh, with the work in the diaspora. I think that's, that's all super important. So um, we all have our blind spots and, you know, um, I'm going to work actively to make sure that we as a local organization uh, work better to uh, support our LGBTQ plus journalists um, and hold me accountable. You know, uh, you got my number, hit me up. I will. <laughs> uh, call me up. <laughs> just don't like twitter drag me I don't know if I'm ready to-
3: uh-uh. <laughs> if I know you I'm gonna send you a message <laughs> <laughs> or a text and that's why I like them because
1: <laughs> they get
0: it <laughs> and they, you know you've been busy you, you you, know you got a busy term up ahead for you
1: yeah you embrace it's, it it's gonna I'm be I'm in the streets though just to know that we're wrapping up that series may be back open or yes. coming back open yeah so like if, if all y'all want to join out for a tasty beverage brand is buying
2: i didn't <laughs> say all that but that's, where I'm, that's, where that's I that's like the presidential holding, life welcoming no yeah. that's where i'm holding office hours That's my official uh, office series as soon as it opens back up so we'll have <laughs> friday happy hour office hours you can stop by uh usually the entry is going to be buying me a drink but you know we'll we'll probably be more lax on that policy as we uh, get further
0: into the present. <laughs> cool beans, cool beans. Well, thank you. This wraps up um, another edition of Wind Down Wednesday. Thank you, Brandon um, Pope, for um, stepping in for Will Jones who's out there working, cranking out those stories, and sure. for our guest, Derek Clifton, we love your work and we respect your work, so thank you for joining us. Thank you. My, my thank hero. My you.
1: hero. Yes. Thank you all.
0: Thank you. Bye.
2: So many more things I could ask. So many All
0: right. <laughs> I know. I, I have so much too. I, I, I have quite a bit I would like to add myself and ask. I do. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right. How do we turn off the live? <laughs>
0: I, I know. Hold on. Lead. Is that, does that help?
2: NABJ Chicago, lead.